listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, gang. Welcome to a series, part two of a series that we're calling Full Tank, that we want you to be filled up and full. Uh, Earlier this summer, I took my family to Silver Dollar City. It's a theme park in Missouri, and uh, it's, it was a riot. And uh, I grew up poor, <laughs> so when I take my family to fun things, we are doing everything that we paid for, okay? I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if, well, they didn't get their nap. That's not my problem. I've paid for this. You're riding everything. You're going to do it twice. I need smiles and pictures for all of that. And so uh, dads, you know what I'm talking about? Like I paid for this thing. Y'all going to be smiling the whole day. And so my kids, they're game. Like they're, they're up for it. And, and Kaya, she plays along. And, and, and so I, I wore her out and wore them out. I, I remember uh, on our third day of theme park, they had like a package. Come on, dads. And uh, on our third day, it was 10.30 at night. We were at a Mexican restaurant, which, by the way, the best ones are where they do not understand any English whatsoever. You're pointing at a menu, you know what I'm saying? Si la boscas esta manifestera. And so, uh, so we're pointing at menus, trying to get everything. And, and my son, Frank, all three years of him, is sitting in the corner of the booth, mean-mugging me. And it's not that he's so angry. He's despondent. He doesn't know what to think anymore. He's so tore back. Hasn't napped in days. Well, guys, well, he hasn't napped. I don't care about any of that. And guess what? Tomorrow's going to be nuts. You know, like, but he's, he's like exhausted. And, and when we got back from the whole thing, we had to have like some days just kind of lounging around the house doing nothing. And I feel like that's what it's like in Michigan. Because we get like 30 days of good weather a year. And so, like, everybody's wedding and everybody's party and everybody's thing is happening when the weather's good. And then you all become stinking hermits when the weather changes. It's so weird. But, like, you're trying to fill it, fit it all in. We're, we're going to do everything. And, and, and what happens is we get to, like, the back-to-school time, which is right around the corner, mind you. And, uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, Jesus, come back in the, in the room. We're sorry for the thing we made it. And, and you get to that season and sometimes you're tore back. You don't have a full tank. And really, you get back from vacation sometimes. You need a vacation from the vacation because you're trying to do it all. Y'all with me? And I want you to be ready. And so before we get in the season, and I have to talk about you living in a rush and having you know, a full tank, I want to get you filled up in July. So that when, And why in the world are they doing school before Labor Day is beyond me? That's on you, not on me. I homeschool, but we just still do school after... Labor Day and chores after school. But anyway, praise God. Um, I don't want you to get there and be exhausted. I want you to get to that spot and have a full tank and be able to thrive when it comes to this new school year and everything that God has for us the rest of 2023. Amen? And that's what Jesus wants for all of us, too. Shared with you a passage last week, the great dividing line of the Bible If you're around this church or any great church for any amount of time, you're going to hear this scripture. Jesus puts a a line in the sand in John's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 10, and he says this, that the devil, the enemy, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I want to be clear. I came so that you might have life and have it to 
the full. God wants you to have a full tank. Amen, somebody? That's the life that Jesus has called us to live. Now, today, we're going to be talking about the prayer of faith. You say, Pastor Joe, why didn't you talk about prayer and let us know what was going on? If I told you we were talking about prayer, half the crowd would be here. Because you're like, well, high five. I know we need to pray. Okay, we'll, we'll catch you next time. We'll be at the beach baptism. But prayer, although it is foundational to Christianity, it's something that I think we breeze over. Something that I think makes us uncomfortable sometimes, that we feel not equipped to do. We feel like uh, if it does work, it's not going to work for me. But I do want to take an unscientific poll just for a second. This is an all play. Uh, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you believe in the power of prayer? Lift your hand. Yeah, that's great. You put your hands down. Uh, if you lie at this next part, may lightning strike you dead. Um, how many believe you need to pray more? That same amount of people. And that's the condition that a lot of churches are in. Like, we believe in it. I accept it. But it's almost like your theoretical belief, like, I believe everything in the Bible. I have no idea what it says, but I believe it. It's true. I'm telling you, I'll fight, you know. But you don't know how to use it. You don't know how to work the process. And so there's so little practical information on how to work the process of prayer. I want to give that to you today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, maybe the most unsuspecting book to go to to talk about prayer But uh, the first part of our time together today, I want to sell it to you. I want to tell you why you need to be a person of prayer, why we as a church need to be a people of prayer. And then in the second part of our day, I'm going to give you some how, like how do we work this out? And it is something so practical when you see it, and you won't see it till the very end. When you see it, it's something that you'll never be able to forget. It'll something that can guide you. And even the newest Christian or somebody that feels ill-equipped, you'll be able to pray as you leave the room today. I know that's a tall order. I think that we'll fulfill it. Uh, And so, without further ado, Nehemiah chapter 1. Let me give you some context about Nehemiah. Uh, The nation of Israel is in a covenant with God. God basically says, hey, you're going to be my people. You're going to be under my covering, my umbrella, if you will. And, And as long as you don't serve any other gods, you obey the commands. Like, this is the way we live life. This is what separates us from barbarians. We're, we're going to be civilized. You do that. You serve me. The blessing, the protection is here. This land is yours. You're my people. I'm your God. On the other end of that, if, if you wander, if you do your own thing, if you go out from underneath my blessing, there's only certain things God will bless. If you go out from that and do your own thing, I'm a gentleman. I'm going to stick to my word, and I'm going to continue to bless what I said I'd bless, but you're out on your own. And if you do that, I'm just going to tell you a little foreshadowing. You're going to be taken over. Your country is going to be demolished. You'll be taken into captivity. Well, Israel became increasingly wicked at the time that we will begin reading today. They became so wicked. God sent prophet after prophet to try to correct them. You got to change. You got to turn the other way. You can't live this way. And Israel blew them off one after another. And inevitably, the day came when Babylon came and, and conquered Israel, conquered the nation, carried off the people. This is that portion of the Old Testament, if you have any familiarity with it, where, where Israel is 70 years in exile from their land. And an entire generation of Israelites did not know the goodness of God, the presence of God, never saw the great temple that was their place for worship. And it was a heartbreaking situation. Now, at the point that we read uh, today, there are waves of people returning 
to Israel. In fact, in one of those convoys is the great prophet Ezra. He has a whole book in your Bible. And he was a pretty zealous guy. He, uh, he wanted to rebuild the temple. He has this like zeal to get people back into Jerusalem, the eternal capital of Israel. And, and he's trying to get the temple rebuilt. And he does. He's successful. And people begin worshiping God. But, but on the other end of that, some of the endeavors that it took to rebuild that temple really made some of the neighboring uh, city-states, some of the neighboring nations pretty angry with Israel. And so there's this attack on them. The walls of the city weren't reconstructed. And in antiquity and even today, if you don't have security at your borders, you're vulnerable to attack. And so Israel, uh, the the seminal capital nation, uh, has Jerusalem as its capital, and it's a walled city, but the walls are broken. And so it's constantly facing attack from formidable enemies. The, The king of Babylon, Artaxerxes, if you name your child Artaxerxes, it's one of those names. I won't dedicate your child to the Lord. If you name your kid Artaxerxes, this is crazy. That's crazy. 2023, who knows? But um, King Artaxerxes is the king over Babylon, and he says, I don't want y'all going back there and rebuilding that wall. He is Nehemiah's boss. He's the most powerful man in the world at the time. That's where we pick up the story. There's your context. Now, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, he says, I was in the citadel and one of my brothers came from Judah. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant. Those are the people that survived. They came back. Uh, Those that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem, our capital city. Verse 3, they said to me that those that survived the exile are back in the province, but they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And so Nehemiah is like, tell me about home. Tell me about home. Is everything coming back together like, like what we heard Ezra was doing? And they're like, look, temple's together, but like we're exploited. We're in a bad spot. We're the laughing stock of the region. Verse 4, when I heard these things, Nehemiah says, he says, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, that might be a little bit of a downer way to start a message on prayer. I am going someplace with this. But here's what I want you to see with all of this. This is very good for the American church. When we see a crisis, when we see an issue, when we see a problem, good people, the American culture is very much like, let's rise up. Let's right the wrongs. Let's fix the problem. Let's raise some money. Let's give them a blessing. Come on, let's go. Let's go and do. And here's the big problem. Oftentimes, we have action first and prayer second. And I love Nehemiah's disposition. He's in a spot where he's like, I don't know what's going on. I got to pray. And even though he's he's mourning and he's, he's, he's going through a really hard time, here's what I see. He's processing the emotion of it all. He's not reacting to the issue and the trouble and the crisis. He's responding to it. He feels deeply, but he's going to feel it. He's going to process it like a real man does. And then what he's going to do is rise up, and he's going to pray to the God who can do something about it. So we need to be the people that pray first. We need to be people that, that seek God first. Write it down. We do more than pray. But New Chapel, we don't do anything until we pray. Amen. You can't be the people that are ready, fire, aim. 
You've got to be a person that says, God, this is awful, this is bad. And, and listen, I am preaching to myself. I have had to learn this, and this is a tension to manage because I am a go-getter. I'm a tough cookie. I am task-oriented to the max. Let's take the hill. But this church can't be built on brute strength and my incredible physique. I get it. But I'm also talking about my willpower. My willpower, it can't be built on that. The Bible says it is not by might. It is by my spirit, says God. And so we need to seek God to win the war in the spiritual first before we have action. We need action, but not until we pray. Say amen, somebody. We need to be God-dependent, not self-dependent. We need to be God-dependent. You know, culture wants you to be self-dependent or government-dependent or codependent. The, the, the worst thing for them is that you would be God-dependent. They don't want that. And so we as the people of God, we have to fight against that tension. I'm a rugged individualist. I like that achievement factor. It is an awesome thing. And Nehemiah was like that. If you read the whole book of Nehemiah, which those of you that like extra homework, read it. You could finish it this week. It's a great read. If you read the whole story, spoiler alert, he rebuilds the wall. And he does it in 52 days. He does it in 52 days, and it's taken them decades, generations to do it, and nothing's happened. But it's very interesting that Nehemiah seeks God first in prayer, and that's where the victory is. Nine different times in the book of Nehemiah, you read it, he hits the pause button and says, guys, we got to pray. I don't know what's going on. We need to seek God. Do you see it, everybody? And this is vital. Why? Because anxiety, fear, depression are on the rise like they never have before. Addiction, overdoses, they're being reported like crazy. It's on the up. And so we need to be the people that say, God, uh, this inward, emotional, spiritual battle has to be dealt with the proper way. It's not going to be by manhandling. It's going to be by winning the war in the spirit first, praying and seeking God first. Say amen, somebody. And the Bible has answers. Like, what am I supposed to do? I feel so anxious. The Bible says this in Philippians 4. Don't, don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And then, and I, I would even add this, the Joe Bevilacqua version, and only then, then and only then you'll experience God's peace. You can have a peace in the world where everything's copacetic, let me tell you something. It has a timer on it. It's going to end at the end of everything. God's peace, the resolve that heaven gives, it can carry you through anything that this world can dish out. Say amen, somebody. And that is a peace. And there is a peace in knowing. This is very profound. There is a peace in knowing that there is a God and I'm not him. There are things that God is supposed to do and things that I'm supposed to do. From the gospel of Kenny Rogers, you better know when to hold him. Because <laughs> if you start to do his role and you don't do your role, you're going to be a very frustrated person in this world. These are the people that I pray for. They're like, well, where's God? Well, you're playing the role of God, and you, you're awesome. But in you, your best day, you make an awful God. You hear me, everybody? God is God, and I am not and when you make peace with all of that, you have this dependence on him that he needs to come through. And if it's not for him, if you're unresolved in this role thing, if it's not for him, you just be left despondent. John shows us why it's so important that we spend time in the presence of God. John's Gospel 15 and verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So you want a fruitful life, yeah? But he says this, but, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So you might have all the money, you might have the talent, you might have the influence, you might have the upper hand, you might be able to really seize some things for yourself, but if you do it apart from God, listen to me, you will not have the quality of living, the quality of life that you desire, because you might be successful in one peak, but there'll be a ton of valleys in your life. You'll have the money, and it will be unfulfilling to you. You'll have the influence, and you'll actually have no influence with your family. You'll lose at home, and if you lose at home, you're lost. Do you see what I'm saying, everybody? And so apart from him, we can do nothing. We need to be people that seek him in everything that we do daily, reaffirm, oh, God, you're God, and I'm not. God, God, I'm dependent on you and all that you can do. We need to remember that God already has a plan for our lives. Sometimes I think when we approach God and and we want to seek him, we think that we're telling him our prayers for the very first time. Like like as though if you forgot to pray, he's like, oh, man, I didn't even know that you wanted that, you know? We should have said something. (laughs) And and we think that it's like it's news to him. Jesus even said that, that our heavenly father already knows our needs. But when we pray to him, what we're doing is we're working a process of submitting our hearts to him and our lives to him. And we're saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. Write it down. Number one, prayer shows our dependence on God. We need to be dependent on him. And then on the other end of all of that, we need to reaffirm that regularly. Prayer shows us that we're dependent on him. Isaiah 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Here's where I want to take us, New Chapel. I want us to stop praying to God or asking ourselves even, God, what am I going to do about this? I want you to change it into, God, what do you want to do about this? You don't have to figure everything out, control head. (laughs) You can ask him, trust him. You're not being irresponsible by saying, God, You tell me what my next move is. I'm not in charge. I can't fulfill the call that you put on my life. I don't know everything, but I know you, and you can direct me, and I'll do whatever you've called me to do. Not my will, but yours be done. My dependence is on you. Amen, somebody? Second thing, write it down. Why should we pray? Write it down. Prayer lightens our load. Prayer lightens our load. Many people, we don't have to wait for fall for this to be the case, but many people come into this room, and there's a heaviness on you. There's this carrying of weights. And Nehemiah was just the same way. He cared about his fellow countrymen, and so therefore he put this weight on him. Uh, This is what it says in Nehemiah 1 and verse 4. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Uh, We read this. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And what I want to do is, in a series to build our faith, I just want to take a second and acknowledge that. that There are people that came into this room today, and you're carrying weights. There's weights on you from from marriage or or family issues. Uh, There's weights because your young kids are acting in a way, and it bothers you, or their school is acting in a way, and it bothers you, or or your adult kids, and you're like, it seems like they're drifting from everything I taught them, God, and you're carrying the weight of all of that on your shoulders. 
Uh, there's people who financially, like there's more month than there is money. And you're like, God, I'm dipping into savings every chance that I get. I need you to come through. And there's a weight that's associated with all of that. You, you see things in culture and it puts a weight on you. You begin to have this, this thought that the best days of our nation are behind us. And, and it begins to weigh you down. And what I found is the deception in all of this is the weights that people carry are because they care. Nehemiah cared about his countrymen. He cared about the fate of Israel. And so therefore he put the weight. But listen to me. Some of you are carrying weights that you have no business carrying. They're weights that Jesus wants to carry in this life. And, 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 and so, yes, he mourns and he, he, he's crying out to God, but he goes back. I love this north star in his life. He's drawn back to this discipline of prayer. He processes the emotion, and then he prays to God. And too many of us are carrying weights that God never intended us to carry. It's fine to feel it all in a moment, but you've got to process that and say, God, I can't carry this. It's, it's going to crush me. And so the people that are holding on to these weights, you're in the right place today but you can't leave this place with all the questions about the future. Some of you have questions about the economy and, man, I thought a recession was going to happen last year and it might happen, and you're, you're riddled with worry. Listen to me. God did not send his son to die on a cross, resurrect him from the dead, to leave you riddled with worry your entire life here on earth. Amen, somebody? You're saying, God, what about my marriage? God, what about my kids? And God, what about my money? And, and, and in essence, what you're praying is, God, I love you. God, I trust you. But there's some areas that I need to be God over. We don't think of it that way, but that's the truth. I'll take it from here. And that's not a relationship with God. That's the religion that some of us in the room left. We're carrying this weight, and the devil adds to it. He's like, yes, and, oh, you care about that? Try this, and it weighs us down, and we need relief from all of it. Where's the relief? Matthew's gospel. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you that rest you're looking for. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Like, he gets it. He understands how to do this, for I am gentle. What's God like? He's gentle. But, but he seems severe. He's gentle. He said he's gentle. He's humble of heart. And that's where you're going to find rest for your souls, and that's what's worn out. See, we could all take more sunshine. If all of a sudden, like when they threaten us with global warming, they have no idea that we're cheering in Michigan. <laughs> Hallelujah. Warming up. But it's going to flood Los Angeles. Hallelujah. You know. <laughs> There's about four lifeboats that could save what I need out of L.A. And, and anyway, but <laughs> how did I get off on that? I got off on that quick. came from my heart. <laughs> we try to fit it all in. You could use more good weather in, in February to enjoy your life. Your body's not tired. It's your soul. You need rest for your souls. You can have all the... Some of you can't sleep at night because your body still has energy but you can't get to sleep because your mind. God wants to give you rest, and it is a rest not like the world. Now, you can take your melatonin gummies in Jesus' name, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> God wants to give... Amen, somebody? Amen. Amen. Can we all just agree that God is good at being God? He has a 100% track record. Come on, somebody. 
The Bible says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible says that, 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 that uh, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. But I want to say something pretty heavy. I think I have the relational equity with you to say this. If God is good at being God, like he can do it really well, and yet you still have weights in your life, that's on you. You're missing something. Because that's, if, if you're feeling it all, you're not describing Christianity. Because he wants to take that way. Well, I have a real burden to pray. Listen, you might have a conviction to pray, but Jesus took your burdens at Calvary's cross. You don't have a right to them. And there's the deception. You care about your life. You care about what's happening. And it feels like, wait, but you're not Jesus. And so he wants to take that weight from you. And true humility is caring so much that you'll approach him in prayer and and give it to him. First Peter puts it this way. First Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? He cares about you. Cares about what you're going through. That word cast for Michigan is not a fishing term, okay? It only shows up twice in the New Testament. Uh, One time, they're loading up a donkey, and they're casting weights on a donkey. The second time, Jesus hijacks that word, and he says, you cast it on me. He says, that's a beast of burden. I'll take your burden. And it's, it's literally lunging your cares, your anxiety, your worries on him. He says, you just cast it on me. You're not big enough to take it. You think you're big enough to take it? That's why you implode and wig out on your family. Hallelujah. You have to cast it on him. And so when you start this process, I will tell you, uh, you will feel like you're going nuts. Uh, like 75 times a day, you're going to have to stop. Be like, oh God, I'm so afraid of anxiety. I'm afraid. I'm worried. I cast it on you, Lord. You'll be like, ah, you know, and then you'll come to church and you'll hear the praise and worship music and you like that. And then, and then you'll hear the message. You're to check mark, check mark, check mark. One, two, three. And you're like, I can do it. You know, I take on hell with a squirt gun. You, you go out and you go to pick up your kids from new kids. You go pick up Johnny. The teacher says, hey, uh, we love Johnny. We love Johnny's spirit. Uh, he called everyone in the class a loser today. We love him. But we have to stop that. And you're like, oh, God, I cast that on you. <laughs> Jesus. And then you get out to your car. You're like halfway back. And you're like, you ever call somebody a loser? God, I'm going to kill you. You know, you get in the car and you go to turn on. The car doesn't start. You're like, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, it's just like cast. And, and it's like 75 times a day when you start. If you do it right, you'll feel nuts at first. <laughs> Because it's constant. It's constant. You, but you go back to the process. And what's the process? You start feeling anxious. You have no right to your anxiety. Stop branding yourself as Saint whoever from Grand Rapids. We don't need you to take that on your shoulders. Jesus took it. And you need to cast it on him. That's the most godly thing that you can do. Show your family what it looks like. A ton of weight gets put on your shoulders. You're like, hey, dad can't take this. Let me show you where my strength comes from. It comes from casting it on the Lord. Come on, dads. Next thing, why should we pray? Prayer releases God's power. Prayer releases God's power. We are a church at New Chapel that believes that our faith is an active faith. It is alive. Our God is alive. He's vibrant. He is not like, the Apostle Paul talked about this. He's not like those dumb idols, and he's not calling them names. He's saying gods that can't speak. 
Our God speaks today. He moves mountains today. And we believe that when we pray and we appeal heaven, that God Almighty moves on our behalf. Amen, somebody? Jeremiah chapter 33, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. James 5, 13, is any among you in trouble? Pray. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up and the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. King James, what I was raised on, it would say the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We don't use the word availeth as much as we should, but you say, well, Pastor Joe, that's my problem. (laughs) I don't feel all that righteous. (laughs) Now think about it. Did it say that the great grand apostles prayer will avail much? No. What about the pastor, the man of God? His prayer will availeth Jesus. You know, like it says the prayer of a righteous person. Like I said, Pastor, that's my problem. I know how I live. Righteousness is a gift. We're not talking about holiness. You need to grow in holiness. We all need to. That's a journey of becoming more like God. But righteousness is a gift. You're either alive unto God or dead unto God. And the moment you accept Jesus as the Lord of your life, you're gifted his righteousness. So just as righteous, as in right standing as Jesus was with the Father, that's exactly what you become. When God looks at you, he sees the same righteousness as Jesus. Not holiness. God has a very sober appraisal of how you live. But you're, listen to me, you're righteous. So you can pray and you can know that God hears you and it releases God's power. And so we live, we live oftentimes beat up, carrying weights of, of fear and circumstance on our lives. We live this way, kind of downtrodden. We say, God, is there any, is there any power available? And then the devil comes in and he tricks us. He, he, he wants us to believe that, that we don't have the time, that we don't know how to do it, and that if God even heard our prayer, we're not going to do it right. And so there's no way that this is going to come to pass. And if, it is, if he does hear us, we're not doing it right. And so it's all going to be null and void. And that is the enemy of your soul trying to stop you from talking to your God. Well, I don't know how to pray eloquently. People ask me to pray at Thanksgiving. I'm like, oh, God, I beseech thee. Listen, God's not English. I promise that. God's not English. Drop the these and thous. Yay, yay, I would say unto thee. Well, yeah, sister, yay, yay is a full of baloney. And you just got to pray. Talk to God. Talk to God. I, I can't even tell. I need to let another decade go through before I tell you when I was teaching my sister how to pray. Some of the words that she used when we first started praying were unbelievable. But, but it was real. We took care of business, didn't we? Only way Nuevo people can. So that's why. That's why we pray. I want to tell you how. Let me show you this. And if you get it, it'll change you. I, I promise. How do we pray? Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah starts to pray. He says, Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He's beginning his prayer, but there's something even in the beginning of his prayer that I want you to see. How do we pray, Pastor Joe? Number one, you, you start out by conveying to God, God, this is who you are. This is who you are. You're amazing. You're great. You're greatly to be praised. He actually uses that word great. Great there is all about God's position. Now, we would say, well, God is good all the time. You know, God is good. He's good-natured. But listen to me. He's also great. 
In other words, he's all-powerful. He can bring it to pass. So you don't pray to God, and God's like, oh, listen, I'd really love to help him just a little short. No, God has all the resource. He can make it come to pass. He is great. He's also awesome. Nehemiah says, God, you're awesome. This is all about his power. He has power available. He has the power to make it come to pass, and then he keeps his covenant. Nehemiah says he keeps his covenant. This is about God's promise, that what God said, he's faithful to accomplish. And what do you need to do? You need to remind yourself. You need to remind your God. You need to remember, uh, remind every devil in hell and remind them about who God is. Oh, God, you are wonderful. You always keep your word. You're an ever-present help in the time of need. You are a rock in a weary land. You've never forsaken the righteous. You will never see us begging bread. You put my feet on a rock. You put vision in my eyes, healing in my hands. God, the purpose and love that you shed abroad in my heart is available to every person that I encounter. Every place that my feet go, I claim for the gospel of Jesus. God, I'm reminding you that you can move mountains, you can change circumstances, that we can have reconciliation that you can make broke bank accounts turn upside down. Lord, that you can take the worst of us and make them into the best of us. Only but God, I remind you of who you are. Say amen, somebody. You remind him. In a word, you would say praise. You give God praise. Remind yourself and God who he is. It is the operative word there, praise. And when you do that, that is the proper way to enter the courts of a king. That's the way you approach your God. we got to press on. Nehemiah 1 and verse 6. Nehemiah says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including me and my father's family, that we've committed against you. We've acted very wickedly. We don't hear that word anymore in church. I don't know why. We, we acted wickedly towards you, and we have not obeyed your commands, your decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses, what is Nehemiah praying? Here's what you need to hear. He's saying, God, this is who I am. He has a very sober appraisal of where he's at. Now, as a pastor, I would tell you that if you mess up, if you sin against God, don't wait for your prayer time to make it right with God. I mean, right there on the spot, confess the sin, he'll forgive you. But if you get into a prayer moment, you have an appointment with God, and you've got some unresolved junk in your life, don't just jump to your list. Be like, God, I got to deal with something. You know what's very interesting about this? I know. It's a fact. Nehemiah wasn't there when the nation went into idolatry. It's interesting because he apologizes for the nation. He says, I apologize for the nation and, and anything that I've done. Why does he do that? Why does he take ownership over all of it? Because the Bible says, and Nehemiah knew this, he says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray that they would turn from their wicked ways, that I would hear their prayer from heaven and I would heal their land. Nehemiah knew that promise. And so even though he didn't lead them into idolatry, he says, look, I didn't start it. He didn't even bring that up. We're doing this. We as a people are doing this. And God forgive me for anything. We've taken part of it just by not calling it out. He is taking responsibility. He's not trying to pass the buck. So what's the word? Here's another word you don't hear in churches often. Repent. You want to be a real Christian leader? Accept the blame. Leaders accept the blame. Losers are always accusers and excusers. Losers excuse their actions. They never take credit for it. That's Washington, D.C., a bunch of losers. 
They cause problems and don't take ownership over it. You never hear, well, listen, you're wrong about that, but actually this is true. I did mess up. When have you ever heard that from any party or any person in Washington? Listen, I wasn't there when they made this decision, but I'm a part of this whole charade. I'm part of the same hypocrisy. I did it as well. Instead, what we do is we go along with the hypocrisy, and God can't bless when we duck and dodge responsibility. Any kind of gospel that doesn't say, hey, look, you got to get right with God. It's not the gospel, everybody. We have to approach this holy God and say, God, I repent. I'm sorry for the thing that I made. I humble myself. And that's what this posture is. It's a posture of humility. And I'm a faith guy. I believe in also saying who I am in Christ and and speaking forth the promises. I'm all about that. But sometimes we skip over the responsibility part just because it's convenient. We've got to be people that take credit. Let's take responsibility. All right, Pastor Joe, I take responsibility. God, I pray for this nation. They're all going to hell. Okay, they went to hell on your watch. See, if we're going to have influence in this world, we can't just be right. We have to be influential. So we have to say, God, there's all kinds of things that are immoral and wrong and evil going on in this world. God, help me to be more bold. Help me to be a person that can talk about my faith more, invite people into this more, that, that I wouldn't be judgy. God, help me not to be one of those judgy Christians that when somebody comes in, I'm like, oh, that's their story. Like, help me not to be that person because I was that person. I was that person. Help us to be the people. Go, God, help our nation. And that's the prayer of humility. Not They're going to hell, God. I admit it. Well, Lord, yes. Let's be people that pray and say, God, heal our land. Oh, God, move on our behalf. Amen, somebody? A real attitude of repentance will unlock the favor of God. I got to move on. Verse 8, Nehemiah 1. Remember the instruction that you gave. Nehemiah is talking to God. Remember the instruction that you gave. He says, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are on the furthest horizon, I'll gather them from there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. What is Nehemiah doing? Here's what I want you to hear. Write it down. How do we pray? Number three, God, this is what you said. Nehemiah is reminding God of what he said as a promise. God, didn't you say that even if we biffed it, even if we messed up, even if we went too far, that if we repented, you'd gather us back together? He's reminding God of his word. This is where the message of faith comes in. There are 7,000 promises in the word of God that you can stand on. Any situation you'd ever face, there is a thematic verse in the Bible you can stand on to resolve that issue, that you can stand on God's word. And God is not forgetful, but he loves being reminded of his word. And I promise that there's a promise. What's the operative word here? Write it down. It's the word ask. Ask. God, I'm going to ask you, but I don't just want you to ask. Ask him according to his word. The strength of our prayers depend on our knowledge of God's promises. What does it say in the Old Testament? Maybe you don't know. He says, my people, my people. God is saying this. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They don't know their benefits. They don't know what's theirs. So the strength of your prayers that you're going to be asking God for, if you don't know the promises of God, you're just guessing. That's not what God has for you. He has more for you. So it's important that we go to God's word, find a scripture on healing and peace, reconciliation or blessing or prosperity or life and joy. And I'm telling you, you can build a life on it. You can stand on God's word. Say amen, somebody. 
And so how do we pray? God, you're awesome. You're amazing. And then we say, God, this is who I am. I'm, I'm turning to you. And then we say, God, this is what you said. And I found this promise. And I'm standing on that because, because you said if I would stand on this, that you would move. And so we, 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 we pray that, God, you'd move in this situation. Got to wrap it up. Nehemiah 1, now verse 10. Nehemiah is praying. He says, he says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeem by the great strength and your mighty hand. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servant's delight remaining in your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. What's happening? The whole process of Nehemiah first hearing about the destruction that was still at play in Jerusalem all the way until he completes rebuilding the wall after 52 days of construction. That whole time is only four months. But within that four months, in my holy imagination, I imagine God took him on a journey to develop his prayer life. At first, he's weeping and he's mourning. He's like, God, this is awful, you know. But, but, but then he, he gets to a spot, he evolves. He, he gets to the spot and he says, well, God, Nothing ever happens unless there's a leader that rises up. And so, God, I, I don't know what's going on, but I just pray that a leader would rise up and, and I pray that they would do something about all of that. God, send someone. And then as he's praying about it and he's thinking about it, he's praying, God, they're going to have to have a plan for all this. I, I pray that they would have next steps on what to do and have an idea how to do this. I mean, I've got my own thoughts about it, but God, I, I'm still praying for that someone to show up. And then finally the prayer turns to, oh, Lord, am I that someone? Is this what you're calling me to do? And are these actually the plans? Because I was just kind of going off the cuff for a second there, God. But like, if this is really going to be a thing, we, we got to help God inform this. I don't just want to go out on my own. Tell me what to do. And he hears more from God on that. And finally, he says, God, I pray that you'll bless this next step. What is he praying for? He's praying that, that God would bless the, the next step of going to King Artaxerxes and asking for him specifically to bless the rebuilding of the wall. And I want to say this first. General prayers don't get answers from heaven. Nehemiah got very specific with his prayer. And so I get it. When you're starting out praying, please start out wherever you're at, just like Nehemiah. Oh, God, I'm kind of wigging out. Help me, Jesus. You know, like, that's fine. You can start there. But if you are, 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 have been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, six months, and you're still like, well, God, we just thank you for this day that you blessed us with and this great weather that we've been having and this bounty of this meal, let me just tell you something. You're reciting poetry. You're not praying to God. He wants to talk to you. Take it out of the general and get real specific. God, I need you to show up in my marriage because I don't want to lose it. God, I need you to show up in my kid's life because my adult kids are acting buck wild. And I'm not like, I'm not a spot to boss them around or give curfews anymore. God, I need you to get specific with your prayers and you'll get specific answers. But if you're going to be generic with God, let me tell you, it's dangerous because your devil is very specific. And so you got to get specific when you appeal heaven. God, I need you to show up. And Nehemiah developed a plan. It's kind of a crazy plan. He's listening to the spirit of God, but he's, He's praying. He's asking God to bless the plan. Here's the plan. God, I'm going to go to the presence of King Artaxerxes, the most powerful man in the world, and I'm going to say, hey, King, do you know that project that you specifically said you didn't want us to do, rebuilding the walls? Well, I want to do that. 
And not only that, but I need you to give me like three months off from work and pay for my travel back to my hometown of Jerusalem to do the work. And, and oh, by the way, uh, I want you to pay for it. How does that sound? You know, <laughs> I don't care how great you are at casting vision. You need God's favor to talk to your boss that way. And you know what's nuts? God heard his prayer and changed the heart of a king. The heart of the kings in the hands of the Lord, the Bible says. There's a whole other sermon there somewhere where you are one godly divine relationship away from a breakthrough moment that can unlock doors you've been praying about for decades. But here's what he's doing. He's yielding all the angst and anxiety and the results to God. What is he doing? The word is he's trusting God. He's yielding. Number four, write it down. The fourth step is, God, I trust you for the results. And of course, God gave him favor. In a matter of 52 days, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. God blessed it. And so friends, don't start your prayer off with all your requests to God. You start by saying, God, this is who you are. And then you talk about who you are. And then you talk about what God said. And then you specifically yield to him. God, you said it in your word. I yield the results to you. I trust you in the process. The word is yield. Here's what I want you to remember. Praise, repent, ask, yield. You'll never forget it, my friend. That is how you pray. You praise your God. God, you're amazing. You're awesome. You've never been defeated. There's no enemy. There's no counsel that can stand against your greatness. You are amazing. God, I'm sorry for the thing I made it. I ask that you forgive me, but I know who you recreated me to be in Christ. God, I have a list I need help with. It doesn't have to be done my way, but I got to get through this list. I ask for your direction and your help. And when you give me the answer, I will yield the results to you because I trust my God. Amen, somebody. And when you do that, you will see your prayers answered. And my friend, you will live with a full tank. Heads bowed, eyes closed in the presence of God. Heavenly Father, I pray for my church. I pray, God, that as they heard this message, they don't disqualify themselves from praying. I thank you, God, that you're going to lift up a standard of prayer in this church where even people that are struggling they don't know what to say, that they're going to reach out to other peers and people in their small groups and people in the row, and they're going to take hands with them and pray about things, even though they're figuring it out. God, I pray for the dads of this church, that even though they may have never had vocal leadership in their family in a spiritual way in the past, that God, that they would have a holy boldness to rise up and pray for their family, just a small thing before meals, and it can develop further. God, I pray that there would be a standard of prayer that would rise up in all of our lives, a boldness that we would praise, repent, ask, and yield because prayer is not a religious rite or ritual. It's talking to our God. Lord, I know this, that in the sound of my voice, there's people that agree with this message, that it resonates, but they don't know you. Help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for another minute. You came into this auditorium. and This message resonates with you. In fact, it's life-giving. It's oxygen because you know you need that relationship with God. But the only way to have a relationship with God is through his only son, Jesus. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord means boss. It's calling Jesus Lord, giving him control of your life. And it's giving him the control that you tried to take. 
assert. And on your best day, you're awesome, but you're not, you're not as good as God. And when you get that order correct, when you make Jesus Lord, yes, there's eternity in heaven. But my friend, listen to me. That full life, that abundant life, it starts the moment you accept Christ. So if you're in the sound of my voice, you know you need to make your life right with God. The only way is by making Jesus Lord. We're going to pray. And if you're ready to make that decision, he'll come into your life and change everything. Church, pray this out loud with me. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Praise God. You can stand up on your feet in the room. Listen, if you accepted Christ today, it's the biggest deal ever. It's the reason why we were all applauding that decision. That same connection card that people were filling out for prayer requests, that they were filling out uh, for different uh, reasons like they're new here, you can fill that out. Check the box that says, I made Jesus Lord of my life. I want to send you a note in the mail talking about God's great next steps for you in your life. He has a great plan and purpose And one of the easiest things he's asking you to do is to fill out that card so we can tell you about God's next steps. One more time, church, let's celebrate those people who accepted Jesus. Praise God. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, love you guys. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.